Hey everyone, this is Joseph Bosco, pastor of Highway Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. You know, all of us need the right kind of voices in our lives. Voices that inspire us to know the one who made us. Voices that awaken our divine destiny and reveal to us the goodness of God. Well, that's what this ministry is all about. So enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. He makes all things new. We started the new year on January 3rd, the first Sunday. We started a series called He Makes All Things New. And we did that for two Sundays. And last Sunday, I shared a message with you called This Is Your Time. But I want to get back to this series. So we're going to, this will be part three, and I think we're going to finish it next Sunday of He Makes All Things New. And let's put Revelation 21.5. You need to realize how desperately you need to hear the good news, the fullness of the gospel preached to you on a regular basis. Most people don't understand what preaching is. They think preaching is a waving of the finger in condemnation. Preaching is a building up and a strengthening. And God has set up a system of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to build you up. So we come to church, we're like coming to the gym. We're like Arnold. And we're coming to get built up. That's my goal, to be bigger than Arnold in the spirit, right? We're, co- we're, co- we're bench pressing today. We're doing leg lifts, right? Right? Hallelujah. Dead lifts. Glory to God. The, the, if, if the word of God, if the real word is preached by the Spirit, you will be strengthened. You will be built up. You will become stronger. You're leaving here today stronger. Those of you who are joining us at home, uh, by the time this worship service is finished, you'll be stronger. Revelation 21.5, Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to wonder about what you said about us, about who we are. Lord, you saw to it that throughout the, the annals of history that we could have a written copy of your word in our hand, all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. And we thank you that it's written. Hallelujah. And he that sat upon the throne, this is Revelation 21.5, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, and he's talking to the Apostle John who was having the vision, he said, Write. You see, he wants it to be written. Yeah. Written. For these words are true and Faithful. So write them down so that others can read them and their lives can be changed. I make all things new. Jesus is describing the reality and power of His nature, of His love, and the fruit of being in a relationship with Him. The truth is, if there's something broken in your life, He wants to fix it. And boy, does He have the power to do it and the wisdom to do it. And it's His will to do it. He's the fixer of broken things. He's the restorer, the repairer. He makes all things new. 
But you've got to understand as much as God wants to move in your life, as much as he wants to heal and fix it, it requires our participation. How do we participate? By receiving his word. By believing what he said. And renewing our mind with it. If your mind is not renewed with what is written, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about who he is, what he's done for us, and who you are in him. You will settle for far less than what he has prepared for you. You'll end up living broken, confused, hobbling through life instead of running and leaping and dancing and singing. We're a running and leaping and dancing and singing church. We run, we leap, we dance and we sing. And we shout. It's the life you're called to. A life of wholeness, a life of jumping, a life of running, a life of singing, a life of dancing. With the stars. (laughs) We are the stars, aren't we? (laughs) Far too many Christians have gone through life with religious blinders on. We're doing all we can to change that. So just in case you may have your religious blinders on, would you please remove them? Take those goggles off and those religious earbuds out. The Father wants to make you new. The Father wants to transform and deliver and be your provider. The Father wants you to stop struggling and let Him do it. He wants you to lean your whole person on Him. To let Him be the very strength of your life. Hallelujah. He wants you to become grounded in His love for you. If you don't know how much he loves you, you're going to have a hard time believing him. We're not robots. We're not computers. We're beings made in his image. And we're made to live in the atmosphere of love. And he wants you to become firmly grounded in His love for you. You've got to know He'll never hurt you. He's never done a bad thing to you. He would never. Why? Because He loves you. A good father would never hurt their child. Never. I know you've probably heard a lot of religious teaching that's contrary to that, but on that anyway right that's what you need to do when you hear religious teaching give it a big fat raspberry that's about what it's worth it's time to know the father as he is not some frustrated person's view on God did you notice Jesus wasn't frustrated that he loved people he did some major rebuking to religious leaders he came against them Adamantly, because they're laying weights on people. But his yoke is easy, his load is light, his disposition is favorable towards you. So we're, we, when we become grounded in God's love for us, we open the door for him to move in our lives. 
And we become grounded in His love for us as we, as we believe in what He did for us by giving us His Son. And we study what He did for us in the Word of God. And we become grounded in this love that is perfect in power. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. We are going to make it to 1 John today, by the way. That was our destination. And we're going to get there today. But let's go to Ephesians 3. This is the Scripture that we have been, in part 1 and part 2, been uh, camping on. We're just going to touch on it, and then we're going to go forward into 1 John. Ephesians chapter 3. Where's Ephesians at in your hard copy Bible? What's the first book in the New Testament? Matthew. Next book. Mark. Luke. John. Acts. Romans. 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Galatians. Ephesians. Philippians. Colossians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. 1st and 2nd Timothy. Titus. Philemon. Hebrews. James. 1st and 2nd Peter, come on, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. Why did I take the time to memorize those? Because I want my sword to be swift. When the enemy comes against me, I don't want to have to, to think about what I need to do. I want to know exactly what God has said. So I have made this book a priority in my life since 1989. Because when the devil comes at you firing his darts, you, you can't be like, um, where did I put that? Uh, is it upstairs? Is it over? I, I, done. You've got to know what he said about you now. It's got to be rolling off your tongue. The moment darkness comes, the word comes out. The moment darkness tries to enter your life, the word of God shoots out of your mouth. You're a deadly weapon to darkness. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in Ephesus. He said, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Talking about the family of God. We bear his name. His name is a banner over us. That he would grant you according to the riches of His glory, His glory, right? To be strengthened with might, whose might? His might, by His Spirit. He wants His glory in your life. He wants you to be strengthened with His might, by His Spirit in the inner man. He's talking about your spirit. Most believers don't even know they are a spirit. They're living like they're a soul or they're a body. You're a spirit you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your soul and your spirit are living in your body. You're a three-part being. You are a spirit. If your spirit leaves your body, your body doesn't work. Your spirit is what's keeping your body alive. And if you'll learn the Word of God, the healing power from your recreated spirit will flow into your mortal body and make it whole. Wholeness belongs to you every day of your life. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with His might by His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ. <laughs> the devil whipper. May dwell in your hearts by faith. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love, not legalism, love. Nothing is more powerful than love. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints. Who are the saints? I'm looking at them. You are a saint if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're clean and you're holy if you put your faith in Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ, He gives you His righteousness. That's what a a true saint is. It's not a statue. There's no counsel needed to meet about it. A saint, according to the Scriptures, is someone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. You need to know you're holy, you're clean, you're righteous because of Jesus. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height? You know, when you're building something, you need to know the measurements of it. And what is it they say? Measure three times and cut once, something like that. Your measurements got to be on. And don't I know that? And the times when I try and (laughs) fix something, (laughs) I try my best to measure the length of that pipe or whatever it is. But boy, if you're off, it makes it difficult, doesn't it? If you don't know how much he loves you, life is difficult. You've got to know the measurements of his love for you. What lengths did he go to to set you free? He gave His Son, His one and only Son. Hallelujah. But you've got to know that. With, you've got to know it as you know your own name. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. It's beyond human reasoning. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Filled with all the fullness of of God. Christ is living in you. The fullness of God is in you, but you will not experience it until you realize how much He loves you. Until you realize what He's done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. Colossians 2. Can we read Colossians 2 before we get to 1 John? Colossians 2, 9 and 10. The end of Ephesians 4, verse 19, said that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What is God's will for your life? His fullness. That you would daily experience His fullness. That's His will for you. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, but you got to keep reading. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. We shared these verses, was it on January 3rd, part one, or part two, or both? I don't remember. I hope you wrote them down. I hope you're meditating on them. They will change your life. The Amplified Classic says, and you are in him. You. Me? Yeah, you. You are in Him. You're not separate from Him. You're in Him. You're made full. 
And having come to fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead. (laughs) You too are filled with the Godhead. You mean you're just like Jesus? Yes. Hallelujah. He's your elder brother. Do you know you're a co-heir with Christ? That means equal to. He did this. We didn't do this. I'm not trying. There's no blasphemy involved here. I'm not claiming to be God. There's, one and o- there's only one God, one true and living God. There's only one Messiah, Jesus Christ. But through his finished work, he elevated us to his side. He seated us at God's right hand with him. He made us co-heirs with him. A co-heir is an equal heir. He gave us the same position, the same favor, the same standing with the Father. It's time to know this, saints. You're not doing God any favors by being insecure and not embracing the gospel. We're hindering what He wants to do in the earth if we don't renew our minds to what we just read. God can only move through us to the degree to which we submit to what is written. He said it, that settles it for me. Then I'm filled with the fullness of the deity. I'm filled with the fullness of God. I'm a co-heir with Christ. You'll, you'll, You'll live differently when you meditate on this. There's no room for darkness in me. I'm filled with God. There's no room for sickness in my life. I'm filled with God. I'm 100% full. When I fill up my water bottle in the refrigerator, I go all the way to the edge. And then I screw that lid on tight. There's no room for anything else in there. You're filled. I'm filled with God. We're filled with God. There's no room for anxiety in us. There's no room for sickness in us. We're filled with God. We're filled with God. Fill it to the rim with brim. Come on. They still make brim? I'm stuck in the 80s. I'm sorry. Just have to deal with it. Last verse of Ephesians 3. We just inserted Colossians 2, 9, and 10 after Ephesians 3, 19. Stay with me. Last verse, verse 20 of Ephesians 3. Verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do... What does that say? Exceeding abundantly. You'd think abundantly was enough. It's not enough for God. He's way beyond abundantly. He's exceeding, and that's in the ongoing tense. He's exceeding abundantly. He's beyond what you can ask for and imagine. He wants to do more in your life than you can ask for or imagine. Your dreams don't even come close to what He wants to do in your life. Come on, let's let him be God. That he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Are we just reading what's written? We're just reading what's written, aren't we? Isn't it wonderful? We don't have to create any philosophies. What is written is more than enough. 
In Christ, you too are filled with, oh, excuse me, I jumped back, excuse me, <laughs> that's a good one too. Uh, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'd say that's exceeding abundantly above all I've ever asked or thought. When I first came to God, I was just hoping He'd let me in. Never did I think He would fill me with His Spirit that I too would be filled with the fullness of the Godhead. That wasn't even in my thinking in 1989. I just wondered if somehow He could forgive me and love me a little bit. Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power. Whose power? His power. Where's His power? In us. In the saints. In those who have been born again of His Spirit. Of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Who put their faith in Jesus Christ. His power is in us. Unto Him be glory where? In the church. Who's the church? You are. Right? The saints. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, with world without end. Amen. Listen, we're not going back to the way we were. We're moving forward. We have to change. We have to stop playing religious games. This is the day for the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. This is the day for you to do what Jesus did and greater things than these. We can no longer uh, spend time uh, tossing around religious philosophies. We are moving forward in the Spirit of God just like the book of Acts. Hallelujah. This is the day. This is the acceptable time. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Are you willing to change? Or do you want to go back to where you were? I've got to go forward. I've been where I was, and ah, where I'm going is way better. Exceeding abundantly better. Hallelujah. If your memories are greater than your dreams, you're going in the wrong direction. Paul Brady, he'll be here in a couple of weeks. You're going to love him. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Now let's go to 1 John. <laughs> Chapter 4. He makes all things new. When we become grounded in His love for us, we open the door for God to do what He wants to do in our lives, to, to believe in His power to fix what's broken, to heal what needs to be healed, and to make all things new. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And then after we read this, we'll go back and we're going to read some more of chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 16 and go backwards. Then, all right? 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. If you're finding or thinking that life is complicated and difficult, it's because you have not known and believed the love that God has for you. His love will make things very clear. Jennifer shared during worship, it's so true. I mean, the world is so full of confusion. 
whatever app, you, social media app you scroll through, it's just mostly noise. People venting and airing their darkness, right? Their anxieties, their frustrations. And if, if, if that's what your input is, you're, you're in trouble. So, you know, a- anything, whether I'm watching TV, whether I'm at the movies, well, you don't go to the movies much anymore, but uh, scrolling through apps or whatever it is that I'm doing, there's always a very strong filter over my eyes and my ears. It's the written Word of God. I don't care how talented it is the person is on Insta, how many followers they have, what's, what their celebrity status is, how they dress, how they can sing, how they can play sports, whatever. I don't care about that. It's interesting, but that's about as far as it goes. Whatever they say immediately hits the filter of the Word of God in my, in my life. And if it doesn't agree, it just drops. It doesn't enter. And I just keep going. It's this active filter it, around my eyes and my ears and my mind. It's, it's, a, it's a shield. I keep it active. I keep it on by meditating in the Word. So all the, the confusion of man's words and the darkness of this world doesn't get in. But you have to keep it on. You have to keep it up by meditating in the written Word of God. I, and, I, and I see how people are moved because so-and-so said something. You know, who won five Grammys or is a famous producer or a, an uh, a accomplished athlete or politician or whatever. And that's the only reason that person is moved by what they're saying because what that person's saying is, is empty, is contrary to the Word of God. You've got to train yourself in the Scriptures so you know what's true and what's not. Or you'll get taken for a ride that could be the last ride you ever take. Oh, it's important to know the Word. It's important to have the Word of God built inside of you as a mighty fortress that nothing can challenge. We've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Pretty clear, isn't it? God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. In the written word of God, listen closely, everything that God does is an expression of love. Love is defined by the actions of God. If you truly want real love in your life, you've got to study God in the Scriptures. Not from some guru on a mountain somewhere. You've got to get a hard copy Bible, New American Standards, Great Translation, New King James, English Standard Version, there are a number of versions out there. Get a good, solid translation and study the Scriptures. Nothing mystical about it. It's just you learning how much He loves you and and meditating on that until it becomes as real to you as your own name. 
Love is more powerful than a nuclear power plant. Love is more powerful than chemotherapy. Love is more powerful than any drug, than any created thing. Love has never been created. Love always is. God is love. Love is not a created thing. It's who God is. He is I am. He always was, He is, and He ever shall be. Love has always been perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up totally lost listening to uh, music that talked a lot and used the word L-O-V-E a lot. But it wasn't love they were talking about at all. It was selfishness, (laughs) trying to get someone from someone else. It was physical attraction. It was sensuality. It was, it was flesh. It wasn't love. I don't know. I could probably go through and maybe of all the hundreds of songs I listened to, I don't know if one of them actually ever talked about real love. But they use the word a lot. The world has no idea what real love is. There is only one way to know what love is. You have to submit to the person of love. His name is Jesus Christ. There's no other way. See, love is not an idea. It's not a feeling. Love is the person of God. This is why so many uh, marriages are in a mess. Unfortunately, even Christian marriages. Because Christians haven't renewed their mind to the person of love. And they, be, they get offended at their spouse. By the way, we're going to be talking about that in get-togethers. How many people have read this book, The Bait of Satan? It's probably about 20-some years old, almost 30. Written by John Bevere. What is the bait of Satan? Do you know? Offense. To get you offended at somebody. Because if he can get you offended at someone, he can move in your life. So in February, you can look on our website, on our events page, highwaychurch.us. Go to our events page. We'll be starting this Bible study right here on Wednesday nights. It's going to be awesome. Hallelujah. But, but that's what happens in a marriage. The spouse gets offended by something this, uh, their, their husband or their wife did do or did not do. And they allow that offense in their own heart to fester. And instead of growing in love, they they grow apart. We don't do that, right, Highway family? We don't allow ourselves to be offended. Why? Because love is not touchy. Love is not touchy. Boy, is the world touchy. Woo! Woo! They're just waiting for you to say the wrong thing, and they're on you like a pack of jackals. Love doesn't do that. Love is not touchy. Love is not fretful. Love is not resentful. Love takes no account of the evil done to it. Love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Am I making this up? Is this written? Where is it written? 1 Corinthians 13, 
4 through 8. Absolutely. You need to know it. As a family, we're all memorizing uh, in the NIV and the Amplified Classic, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I also did it in the Weast because I just, it's just transformed my life. Love parted the Red Sea. That's love. God's people were being chased by an enemy. What did love do? Make a way of escape. He, not, but wait a minute, exceeding abundantly didn't just, didn't just move the waters aside. The ground that they walked across was perfectly dry. They didn't even get their feet wet, exceeding abundantly. As soon as they were through, waters came back, destroyed their enemy. Love protects his children. Love provided warm fire by night and cool shade by day. Love made the best-tasting, most nutritious bread man had ever eaten. Love defeated all of his children's enemies. Love brought his children into a land flowing with milk and honey. Love formed the Messiah in the womb of a virgin. Love turned water into wine. Love provided the most abundant catches of fish that fishermen had ever seen. Love healed all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Love made the dumb to sing, the lame to leap, and the dead to live again. God is love. Love is defined by what he does. When we understand this and we read the scriptures and we go back to Matthew chapter 8, we see that's love responding to the centurion. Go, it will be done just as you believed it would, love said to him. And the centurion returned home and found his servant healed. We don't know how much time it took for him to get back home, but it didn't matter. God had spoken. Let's go up to verse 8, same chapter, 1 John 4. <laughs> I've got a gem for you. I'm, I'm working to get to it. It is a gem. 1 John 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God. So if I say, if you love me, You'll do this. Is that love? Don't let anyone fool you with that. Well, if you love me, you'd give me this. No. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. 
that God sent his only begotten son. Let's put verse 9 up there. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God manifested mean was revealed, was made plain to us. How was love made plain to us? God sent his only begotten son into the world. That is the clearest revelation of love you'll ever find. So it's very important I mean, every part of the Bible is important, Old and New Testament. But it's a very important that we are New Testament thinkers. Because Jesus is love in perfect definition. He is love defined. He's love in action. So you cannot understand the Old Testament if you're not grounded in the ministry of Jesus. There are things God could not do in the Old Testament because the hardness of man's heart. So you've got, to, you've got to read the Old Testament and the New Testament epistles through the light of the love and person of Jesus Christ. His only begotten Son into the world, why did God send His Son? What does it say? That we might live through him. When? Now. Christianity is now. It's a now reality. You're filled with the fullness of the Godhead now. He gave his son. Why? So that we would live through him. Today. And every day. For the rest of our lives. Verse 10. In this, what? God revealing His love to us through His Son that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. <laughs> no, it's not about uh, our efforts to try and be holy. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that word mean? Propitiation. You could say payment. But the word propitiation, it, mean, it means to win or regain favor. To make favorable. To provide success and victory. Because of what Jesus did, you, you have the favor of God permanently on your life. If you've put your faith in Christ. You were declared a permanent success. A permanent victory when you put your faith in Jesus. He became your sin so that you could become His victory. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Makes sense, right? How, do we love others according to the way they treat us? No. We love others as He has loved us. Right? Changes everything, doesn't it? Now we can love anybody. Right? Because it's not based on how they treat us. It's based on how He treats us. Right? Right? 
So now love is, doesn't lay out a list of conditions and say, if you, know, if you do this, then I'll be nice to you. No, love loves because love is love, right? It's the nature. God loved us. He shouldn't have, but He did. If it was based on how we behaved, we'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? No one has seen God at any time. He's a spirit. We can't normally see spirits unless something supernatural happens, right? No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God's, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. God becomes real to us when we know how much He loves us and we choose to love others as He loves us. He becomes very real to us. And we have seen and testified. This is written by the Apostle John. This was the closest disciple to Jesus who's writing this. Had the closest relationship to him. Why did he have the closest relationship? Do you know the Apostle John? Have you read the Gospel of John? He wrote the Gospel of John. Then he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Then he wrote Revelation. But as he wrote of himself... If you'll read through the book of John, you'll see it'll say the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's writing about himself. That wasn't arrogance. He thought of himself as someone very precious to Jesus. That's how you're to think of yourself. You're the disciple Jesus loves. Think of yourself as very important to him. Very precious. You are the disciple Jesus loves. You're his special one. Hallelujah. Yes, you are. And it's good to remind ourselves of the contrast between John and Peter. Peter was the one who said, oh, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll do anything for you. Peter, who was the one who loudly proclaimed his commitment to Jesus. He was thinking about how much he loves God. And he failed miserably. John didn't think about how much he loved God. He thought about how much God loved him. And, and he accomplished things that no other apostle could. Christian history writes that they attempted to execute the apostle John. Tried to boil him. Nothing worked. They couldn't kill the man. Could it be that his consistent meditation on God's love for him made him impenetrable to danger. Just like God promises all throughout the Scriptures. No harm or evil shall befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling. What activates the reality of that? Knowing how much He loves you. They couldn't kill John. They had to exile him to the Isle of Patmos and guess what? Jesus showed up. He wrote the book of Revelation. They couldn't stop the man. Could it be that if we surrender to love, we'll become unstoppable? That if we shift our focus from how much we love God to how much He loves us, that His promises become a reality in our lives? Yes. Aren't we having a grand time in the presence of the Lord? So the Apostle John, who has put his head on Jesus' chest, 
said, Have we, we've seen, we testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. I put my head on his chest. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, lives in him, and he in God. God lives in him. God lives in you. God lives in me. And I live in him. Let's say that together. God lives in me. And I live in him. God lives in me. And I live in him. God lives in me. And I in him. So when I'm reading through my hard copy Bible and I'm reading about the parting of the Red Sea, I remind myself that that's the God living in me. When I'm reading in my Bible and I see love standing outside of Lazarus' tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth, I remind myself that's the God who's living in me. Hallelujah. And we have known and believed, back to the first verse we read in 1 John 4, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You see, the greatest strength of Jesus was his unshakable confidence in the Father's love for him. In fact, it launched him into his ministry when he was baptized and received the Holy Spirit. The Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Is he pleased with you? Yes. You're his beloved. You're his beloved son, his beloved daughter. He's for you. It will launch you into your destiny when you receive his love for you. You'll say bye-bye to the suggestions of the world and hello to your divine destiny when his love becomes a reality to you. Verse 17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is we might be someday not what the bible says religion might say that the bible it is written as he is so are we in this world come on this is the day for Jesus' people to walk the streets of Providence and Boston and Fall River and New Bedford and Fairhaven and Bristol and every town in this region. Do you have time for a little gem? Can I give it to you? The love of God has been manifested to us through Jesus, right? It's exceeding abundant above all that you can ask or think. His love will renew your youth. Amen. 
We're going to start now, and we'll finish next week. We're going to go through Old Testament and New Testament and look at some examples of what God's love does in our lives. We're going to go back to the Old Testament for this one. You realize Jesus is in the Old and New Testament, right? In fact, everything that God says in the Old Testament is Jesus speaking. Sometimes uh, we're given the impression that there was a different God in the Old Testament. The difference in the Old Testament was the hardness of man's heart. Their stubbornness and refusal to accept God. They're demanding. You know, they demanded that they would have a king like the other nations. God said, you don't want a king like I want to be your king. If you, if you have a king like the other nations, you're going to have all kinds of troubles. They said, we don't care. We want a king like the other nations. Can you imagine God saying, I want to be your king? No, we want a man. We want a faulty uh, man who's acceptable to arrogance and pride and deception and, uh, you know, bribery and doesn't compute, does it? But he had to give them what they asked for, right? So he gave them kings. And that's, boy, the trouble start then, right? What a mess it was. How many kings just rejected God and rejected the ways of God? So in the Old Testament, the difference is not God. God hasn't changed. The difference was the covenant that people were in with God because of the hardness of their heart. God never wanted those things. God never wanted his people to go through the things they went through. They went through it because of their refusal of him. You realize you can stop God from moving in your life? Not because he, he doesn't love you. He loves you, but he, he, he's given us. We, we're made in his image. We have a free will, and he asks us to participate with him. No marriage can work if both the husband and wife don't participate with each other. I'm going to take you back to the book of Job. Can you handle it? Job chapter 33. Now, I, sometimes because of religious tradition, you just bring up a, a, a passage of Scripture or a book and people's minds go wild. Job is the most misunderstood book of the Bible, I would say. And we've done teachings on it before. And if you want to get a great series on it by Tony Cook, Tony Cook, it's called Understanding the Book of Job. Uh, you'll find that God did not do those things to Job. It was Satan's work. God did not allow Satan to do those things. God did not put Job into the hands of Satan. Job put himself and his family into the hands of Satan by his excessive, continued, persistent, practiced fear. And I'm not going to... We're not going to explain Job today. We need time to break that down. But, I, but it wasn't until Job chapter 32. By the way, Job was a man who loved God and feared God the best he knew how. And he was the most wealthy and prosperous man in, 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 his, uh, in his region, in his nation. Satan came after him. And what Job did is he practiced fear. He thought he, he, he would he, he made, turn fear into a religion. And, and his fear moved him to sacrifice and, and, and offer things to God. He thought, boy, in case my children have sinned, I'm afraid that if they've sinned, something bad's going to happen. A lot of people pray out of fear instead of faith. And it doesn't work. 
Praying out of fear opens the door to darkness in your life. All prayer is not good prayer. There's a lot of lousy prayers being prayed by Christians. They're praying out of fear, out of religious tradition, and it doesn't work. It opens the door for darkness to operate in your life. We pray by faith, confidence, love, joy, peace. We're sure and certain of who He is and what He's done for us. It wasn't until Job 32 that a young man, after some of Job's friends came to him and told him things that just weren't true about God. So there's a lot of confusion in Job. It's the oldest book in the Bible. They knew the least about God. They were in the dark. But it was in verse, excuse me, chapter 32 when a young man came along, Elihu, who is a type of Christ, who begins prophesying of what Christ would do for us. Very powerful when Elihu begins speaking. We're going to go to chapter 33 and verse 23. I want you to listen to this. This is prophetic. It's Elihu talking. He's the only one in the book of Job that God did not rebuke. God rebuked Job and he rebuked his friends, but he didn't rebuke Elihu. Elihu spoke rightly of God. And he's the only one in the book. Elihu saw Job's situation. He heard the the poor counsel his friends had given. And he began prophesying and he said in verse 23, if there is a messenger for Job, a mediator, one among thousand to show man God's righteousness. That's who that is, is. Now I want you to, let me break this down for you. I want you to go home with this. Here's Elihu seeing a man being attacked by Satan, given poor counsel by his friends. And he begins to prophesy, science says, what man needs is a messenger from heaven, a mediator between God and man to show man God's righteousness. Stay there. I'm going to read to you 1 Timothy. Can we put 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 up there? For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Elihu was prophesying of the covenant we would have through Christ, the mediator. One God, one man, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That means the proper time. In other words, to be told of, to be preached of at the proper time. This is the proper time. What do we preach? That the righteousness of God has been given to man through the mediator, Jesus Christ. You have to receive it. You have to yield to it. Now let's go back to Job 33, verse 23. If there is a messenger, who's that Jesus for him? A mediator, one among a thousand, to show man God's righteousness or uprightness. Verse 24. What are the results? Hear me. What are the results 
of this covenant, of this mediator, this, this intercessor between God and man, what are the results when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God removes their sin and makes them His righteousness? 2 Corinthians 5.21. Do you know that scripture? God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Then, verse 24, God is gracious to him and says, excuse me, did I skip a verse? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, Deliver him from going down to the pit from destruction. I have found a ransom. Remember 1 John 4, a propitiation, right? A payment. I have found a ransom. Here it is. Ready? Can you handle this? Verse 25. Here's the results of knowing how much He loves you of the new covenant He's given you through the mediator, Jesus Christ. His flesh, that's this stuff, shall be fresher than a child. Fresher than childhood, one translation says. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God and he will be favorable unto him. And he shall see his face with joy for he that he is God. For God will render unto man his righteousness. When you... Embrace the fullness of the gospel. One of the benefits is the renewal of your youth. We're not done yet. Job 42.10. This is after Job repented. He was rebuked by God. He repented. Job 42.10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Good thing to pray for your friends, right? Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He lived, I think, for another 140 years. Four generations he saw of children come after him. He, he was the wealthiest man before. Now he was double that. Now let's look at this reality. And I know this, is a, this is, might be shocking to you. But 2 Kings chapter 5. We're almost done. Hang in there. Got to get this out now. 2 Kings chapter 5, Elijah, the prophet, has ascended back into heaven, and Elisha is his successor, and Naaman the leper uh, is, is seeking healing from the prophet Elisha. Elisha, the prophet, tells him to dip into the Jordan seven times and he'll be healed. Initially, he says, that's stupid. I have better rivers in my country. I'm not going to do it. But then Naaman's servant says to him, listen, if he would have told you something hard to do, you would have done that, right? Why don't you do the simple thing? God wants to say it's simple with God. Just do what he says. It's so simple. So in verse 14, it says, then when he down, that's Naaman, he dipped himself seven times in Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, oh, it's good to listen to the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. God could have just removed the leprosy, right? No, he's exceeding abundant. 
He didn't just remove the leprosy from his skin. He gave him skin that was fresh as a little child. This was a full-grown man. I don't know how old Naaman was, but his youth was just renewed. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Last scripture, Psalm 103. We're talking about the exceeding abundantness of love and what he wants to do in your life. Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, His Word, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. This is what love wants to do in your life. I know you may not have heard this before, but it's true anyway. Didn't we just read what's written? How powerful is your Father's love for you? So powerful it affects the tissues of your body. The cells of your skin. Father, this love is off the charts. We never could have imagined how much you love us. But you have demonstrated it to us through your Son. And we receive it all. Father, quicken us. Help us to receive the breath depth, width, and height of your love for us. In Jesus' name. God is so good. We want to invite you to continue to grow in the knowledge of His goodness, who He is, what He's done for you, and who you are in Him. Check out our websites at josephbosco.com US and highwaychurch.us and begin living the abundant life he came to give you.